Welcome to The State of Us. Beyond mainstream cable news and party lines, with a millennial and a boomer, The State of Us pushes past the noise and uncovers all the issues that matter. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The United States spent $3.65 trillion on health care in 2018, which accounted for 16.9% of the nation's GDP or gross domestic product. Despite the astronomical spending, evidence suggests that the U.S. performs worse than some numerous other countries in various areas. According to a Pew Research Center 2019 poll, reducing health care costs ranks among the top tier of public priorities, and nearly every American will be touched by the health care system at some point in their life. Medicare for All has been touted as a solution to this crisis. But is it really the best path forward? The Committee for Economic Development in Washington, D.C. suggests in a new policy paper that there might be a better path forward. Today, we get to speak with one of the people behind the policy paper from CED and someone who is renowned as one of the foremost thought leaders in this field. Joe Minerick was the chief economist of the Office of Management and Budget for the eight years of the Clinton administration, helping to formulate the administration's program to eliminate the budget deficit. Prior to his service in the Clinton administration, Minerick worked closely with Senator Bill Bradley on his efforts to reform the federal income tax, which culminated in the Tax Reform Act of 1986 and served as chief economist to the House Budget Committee. Minerick received three graduate degrees in economics from Yale University, earning his Ph.D. He earned his B.A. in economics from Georgetown University. And... Uh, it's safe to say that this gentleman has more than enough experience to talk a little bit about uh, healthcare and its contribution to the economy. Joe, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here, Justin. We're going to get into it here in just a second. But of course, we couldn't begin a conversation on Medicare, politics, and the economy without your friendly redneck liberal, Lance Jackson. I think this is a great topic. And it, with the election looming, we need to discuss what is the best answer for all of us as far as healthcare. So I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. So let's get right into it. Uh, the U.S. performs worse than many other OECD countries in critical areas such as life expectancy, infant mortality, and unmanaged diabetes, despite the fact that the U.S. spends more than any of the OECD countries. So what's the rest of the world figured out here? Well, the one thing I can tell you, Justin, from my time working in the White House and spending conversations with folks from around the world, actually nobody is happy with his country's healthcare system. That having been said, uh, the United States has some problems. Some of them come from outside of what we usually think of as our healthcare system, and we should consider that. So, for example... Uh, we have a diverse population. We have issues of poverty, which affect people's health. Uh, we have domestic violence, which very sadly affects statistics like uh, life expectancy. But all of that having been said, uh, we do a very good job of treating people when they're sick. We don't do as good a job as we should of keeping people healthy. That's probably the most important distinction. That's the lesson we ought to take from those statistics as we go forward. So in other words, the United States on average, once you get sick, 
we do a pretty good job, but we don't spend enough time or energy on actually preventing you from getting sick in the first place, or in other words, spending more time on wellness as opposed to just care. We remain a destination for people around the world who need heroic care from serious illnesses. So so that hopefully helps people understand what this figure means, because my guess is there's a lot of people out there who, when you say this, they think about, well, wait a minute, we have some of the best doctors and some of the best medical facilities in the world. And that's true. But that deals more with after you've become ill as opposed to prior to getting ill. Yeah. So, for example, uh, statistics indicate that about 40 percent of deaths every year come from preventable causes, which is to say if people had been taken care of day to day, they would not have had the ailments that finally cost them their lives. Well, I believe that answers many questions that people have, and that is that we do have some of the best doctors and the the medical care that are needed in emergency or, as you put it, heroic situations. And obviously that drives the cost up. So that skews the numbers. But to continue, we have talked many times about the different approaches to healthcare here on The State of Us. There are primarily four schools of thought, according to the policy paper from CED. What are they and what's the big problem with each one? The first one is steady as you go. Uh, and if you look at our current system, costs are rising unsustainably, unaffordably, uh, and more Americans are not covered with health insurance than we would like. Beyond that, uh, as we just discussed, the quality of our health care is not what it should be. So status quo. Status quo. Uh, a second is so-called repeal and replace the current uh, healthcare blueprint, which is called the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. The problem with that one, it was tried legislatively a couple of years ago and folks could not come up with the replace part. And it's not clear that anything has leapt to people's minds in terms of uh, a uh, total change. So is the biggest issue with that one, not necessarily getting rid of it, but not having a plan for what we put in place of it? The one thing that I think people would agree on is we can't get rid of it because it does things like making sure that people who have pre-existing conditions can get coverage. If you just throw that out the door, you have a lot of serious problems that people really can't stomach. And nobody has come up with the alternative to avoid those problems. So what's the third one? Well, the third one is as you discussed early on, Medicare for all. And we can certainly go into that one. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues uh, that I'm going to talk about uh, is the unpredictability and some of the blind leaps that are involved with it, with some potentially some adverse consequences. Well, we're going to, um, for our listeners out there, we're going to spend a substantial part actually start getting into it in this segment. And in the next segment of the show, we'll also talk about that. So we'll let Joe save, um, since it's kind of the focus of the episode, we'll let him save most of that here. What about the fourth one? Well, the fourth one, and if you learn from the lessons of of the third one, uh, what we would try to do is to make some really aggressive changes to the current system and in a, an elevator speech, I would say what we're looking for is cost-responsible consumer choice among competing 
private healthcare plans. And I can parse that out a little bit and give you a sense of what that means. So we're going to focus mostly on in today's program, number three and four. Um, number three being the thing that I think has gotten the most attention, right, especially in this presidential election cycle. And number four being uh, the alternative, which, of course, people have their own ideas about that. But CED is putting forward something specific. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to look at today. So, Joe, let's talk a little bit about that. What I wrote down, the, the blind leap of faith, um, and that is the the total cost of Medicare for all. Some candidates claim that it can be paid for through an additional wealth tax or through other economic means. Is there any merit to these approaches or would these, quote, solutions fall short? We've got a long list of places to go for money. Uh, if you wanted to raise dollars to reduce the federal budget deficit, which we need to do, um, there are a bunch of different doors you can knock on. The same doors might conceivably be used to finance Medicare for all. Uh, the issue is Medicare for all is probably going to be extraordinarily expensive. And when you try to raise a lot of money, every additional dollar you're trying to find causes more difficulty in the economy than the last dollar. We do have a mentality in this country that the proper way, everybody's idea of how to pay for health care is somebody else pays for my health care. And that doesn't work. 100.000% of healthcare expenses are going to be paid for one way or another by us. The question is, how do we handle that? And the bigger the bill, the harder that is going to be. We've been talking with Joe Minerick of the Committee for Economic Development in Washington, D.C. about Medicare for All and uh, what a better alternative might be. We've got lots more to get through. And we're looking forward to continuing that conversation with him. Keep it here on The State of Us, and we'll be right back. We are The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. Joe Minerick at the Committee for Economic Development is in part responsible for a new policy paper coming out suggesting that there's a better path forward on healthcare, and it isn't Medicare for all. This paper addresses not only some of the problems with Medicare for all, but also puts forward a new path. And that's what we're going to be continuing our discussion on in this second segment. Under current law, Joe, many providers lose money delivering Medicare services because government reimbursement rates are low. But they make it up by charging higher prices to private patients. So if we moved to a system like Medicare for all, what would happen to smaller rural hospitals and healthcare providers? You're exactly right about the way the system works. And if you go to rural areas where the population is primarily older and you have folks there who are trying to provide healthcare on a shoestring, reducing reimbursement rates would be extremely hard to swallow. Uh, the concerns, uh, among the greatest concerns with respect to Medicare for all are what would happen to rural providers, to small hospitals, uh, the possibility that the lower reimbursement rates that would be imposed on a lot of the services that would be provided there wouldn't be enough to keep those uh, organizations going. 
So we want to move into talking a little bit about, um, you know, what is being proposed by CED that's a better alternative to this. Uh, and since we're on the topic of rural healthcare, this is something that, again, uh, specifically in the healthcare space, the state of us has been focused on because um, our home studio is in a rural area. Uh, so this is this is near and dear to us. Um, we actually work with Mercy Health, which is one of uh, the large rural healthcare providers in the nation. And uh, it's a constant challenge of keeping care affordable, but also providing quality care in these areas. Um, so what what can be done uh, to improve on the current system to improve rural health care? Technology is going to be very important. Uh, remote health care is going to change the old rule that all health care is local. Uh, you could access talent and even have remote operation of some healthcare procedures by doctors who are not sitting next to the patient. That can be very important. It also potentially can be very costly. And a lot of that technology is being built. It's being built very rapidly, but it's going to take some time to get there. So does the government have a role in that aspect in terms of facilitating research into that technology, or is that something that they should just be trying to incentivize or encourage private industry to look into? Research has always in this country been a combined effort of the private sector and of government. The way we divide labor there is government tends to do the things that are more exploratory. They, they undertake the research where a, a private business uh, would have a relatively low probability of making money, but that stream of research might lead to ideas down the road that could be developed into self-supporting uh, lines of business or ideas. When you get to the point of product or service development, you're better off working with the private sector because they know what it is that they need to do to take that intervention into market and make it self-supporting. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really glad that there are some solutions out there being worked upon for those of us who don't live in a metropolitan area, nor do we want to really move there. So the next question is, according to the report, CED's vision is an aggressive overhaul of the current Affordable Care Act. What are some of the major components of the ACA that you would like to see changed and what would be the anticipated positive effects of those changes? The most important thing that we can do is to have every individual go out into the marketplace and buy the health care that that person wants. Different people have different preferences. Different people have different ideas of the doctor they want to work with. People should have choice, but the plans that market to them should be under pressure, under competitive pressure to provide quality health care that people want at low cost. So the way we would go about that is to give individuals a single purpose refundable tax credit that they can use to buy in full an efficient, comprehensive, quality health care plan that is available in their area. If people make those choices, the plans then have to provide the kind of care that people want and they need to do it at the lowest possible price so that individuals will choose their plan. 
And providers who work for those plans have got to do a good job because the better job they do, the more patients they are going to get. That's the way every part of the U.S. economy drives quality and low price is by consumer choice. And healthcare could do the same thing. So choice is a big part of it. Now, we've talked some about Medicare for all, uh, notably a plan by Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren, or I guess they're both senators. And, um, you know, that's something that they've championed. But one of the other candidates, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, has a plan uh, called Medicare for all who want it, which is essentially adding a public option. Um, so keeping the, the current system, but adding a public option. Where do you see something like that fitting in uh, in this new path forward? Is that something that we should be looking into? We would prefer to see competition among private plans. The public option raises a whole list of problems. One of the most important ones is how does the federal government set a price for the plan that it offers as a public option? You want competition. The competition has got to be on a level playing field. The sovereign, the U.S. government, is going to have a hard time stooping down to a level playing field with a mere private insurance company. The price that the federal government sets will be critical. Uh, if it sets a price that is too low, it will lose money. And at the same time, it will destroy the competition. Now, some people would think that's a good thing. I don't think that Medicare for all, which incidentally would take us back to the old fashioned system of fee for service medicine, which means the more services, the more fees, uh, is the way to get efficient quality health care. The public option would push us in the same direction. If, uh, as another example, people who were sick perceived an advantage in going with the public option rather than the private plans, the public option would lose money year after year and would pile up the public debt when people are saying that what they really want to do is to avoid the rising costs that we now have in healthcare, which are driving our budget down into the into uh, debt. So one of the things that uh, you actually mention in this policy paper, which I thought was interesting, uh, is one of the one of the items that's kind of touted by people who are advocates of Medicare for all or Medicare for all who want it is the uh, perceived low administrative cost of Medicare. Uh, and that's this idea that Medicare spends, you know, two or three percent on administration and private insurers spend anywhere from nine percent to some estimates as high as 20 percent or more, uh, which, of course, to people sounds like they're wasting money on executives or managers or something like that. Uh, but you kind of try to dispel this notion in the report. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, there is a long literature of errors in payments, usually overpayments, usually over claims in Medicare. Uh, Medicare has a priority of fast payment over accurate payment. The Why is that? There is a prompt payment law in uh, all federal business. So if you're a contractor working for the Department of Defense, uh, you have a right to be paid promptly when you submit 
your bill or claim. In healthcare, the problem is that there can be errors in the care that is provided. There can be overbilling. Uh, there are numerous, there's a very high error rate in Medicare, which in fact exceeds estimates of the overhead rate in private insurance. And some of that uh, error in payment turns out to be outright fraud. That is a problem that suggests that current Medicare is not uh, is not administratively cheap. It is actually under-administered. And the other aspect of Medicare that needs to be considered, and this would be transferred directly to Medicare for all, because it works on a fee-for-service basis, every service has got to be billed. Some of the most efficient private health care plans ones that break the incentive of fee-for-service to just deliver more services, work in such a way that they don't have to bill for every individual service. They're in effect, physicians are on salary. Uh, they contract for uh, total procedures, not for every service that is a part of that procedure. And so administration there is lower because you simply do not have to pass as many pieces of paper around. That is a goal for the organization of healthcare that would actually provide us with not only more efficient care, uh, but also less expensive administration. So one of the other things, and we mentioned this a little bit before, is the, the cost of a plan like Medicare for All. Um, in fact, uh, there's a current estimate that suggests that a generic Medicare for all proposal uh, could increase overall health care spending um, by almost $750 billion. So to put it that in perspective for people, right, uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, and, and it has to be something we think about when the federal deficit is what it is, despite the fact that no presidential candidates uh, on the left or the right are talking about the federal deficit anymore. It's still a growing issue, and it's obviously one that you've worked on uh, during your career. How does that play into your uh, proposed solution, CED's proposed solution? What what does cost look like under this uh, under this new path for healthcare? We are interested in introducing competition into healthcare. Competition is what drives lower cost and quality in the delivery of automobiles, the delivery of haircuts, the delivery of every good or service in the economy. Adam Smith referred to competition as the invisible hand. Who can do it the best for the least. Yes. And that's who consumers go to. The problem with the invisible hand is that you can't measure it because it's invisible. Nobody can tell you what competition is going to do in terms of generating better automobiles going forward, uh, better wireless service. Uh, if somebody asks you to predict the price of a quality car 10 years from now, you probably wouldn't be able to do it. The same thing is true of healthcare, but the one thing we do know is if we unleash the innovation that comes from the American economy, and deliver it, direct it to healthcare the same way as it is directed at every other part of the U.S. economy, we're going to get better results than we do with a command and control government rate setting service of healthcare. 
it sounds like from from what I've read and I've looked at the um, the paper, granted not the final version yet, but by the time our listeners are hearing this, the final version will be out. So they'll be able to take a look at that. And we'll be sure to link it at thestateofus.org as a reminder to everybody. Uh, if you want to read this for yourself, our website, thestateofus.org, will have it there, make it easy for you to take a look and see what you think. It sounds like this follows for the most part, Joe. Uh, CED's commitment to find reason solutions in the nation's interest, right? Uh, this is uh, not only is it uh, good policy, but it's practical policy, which is often a component that people miss. And I think something that too often American voters aren't necessarily thinking about when they go to vote, uh, not just is this a good policy, but is it something that can actually get done? Uh, we didn't even really get into the politics of it, right? But that's another component. Um, even a large percentage of Democrats don't support a Medicare for all proposal. Um, aside from that doesn't get into the how do you pay for it. We really appreciate you being here. And if people want to learn more about CED, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, very easy, www.ced.org. Okay, so head over to their website, check it out. We'll link both the policy paper and the website on our end. Uh, and don't go anywhere because Lance and I have, uh, we're going to wrap up this show. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've learned and whether or not we're in favor uh, of this policy moving forward. So be sure to stick around for the third and final state segment. Keep it here on The State of Us, and we'll be right back. The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The United States performs worse than many other OECD countries in critical areas such as life expectancy, infant mortality, and unmanaged diabetes. There's a plethora of items out there in terms of solutions, and I'm using air quotes there, to talk about healthcare in this country. And we've had the opportunity today to speak with Joe Minerick. He is one of the foremost experts in this area. He has quite the track record of experience, and he put forward for us some different ideas, helped us break down some of the common schools of thought and what the issues are with them. So now Lance and I have the opportunity to go back through, highlight some of the key things that we took away and talk about what the path forward looks like. So the the one big thing for me, Lance, that I think he said that I just hope everybody heard because it was, it was just one sentence and it was brief, 100% of healthcare costs will be paid by us. And he meant Lance, mm -hmm. Justin, Bradley, Joe, all of us, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which option you go with. Right. We all pay it no matter which option you go with. It isn't free. Uh, and it's just a difference in how much it's going to cost us, which is a big deal, and also a difference in what method you're paying. How it. you want to pay for it. Right. How do you want to pay for it? Do you want to swipe your credit or debit card or do you want to send it in in taxes every year or do you want to i mean you know it's always what i said if i was in charge of a school district i would just look at my teachers and say in negotiations here it is this is how much money we have in the district this year how much of it do you want in salaries how much of it do you want to go to your insurance how much of it do you want to go to art supplies how much of it do you want to go to and superintendents would just look at me and go huh i'm like hey well, this let is, them decide because right is if what they... I have to spend. Where do you want it? You know, do you want 80% to go to your salaries and have, you know, a so-so 
health insurance plan? Or do you want 90% and have no health insurance plan? Or do you want new books and do you want new desks and new chairs? Okay, well, then it's coming out of your salary. And that's basically what Mr. Minnick was saying was that, okay, healthcare is going to, for the most part, cost this. How do you want to pay for it? And then what I liked with what he said was we he believes in competition because competition will drive prices down. So his argument, and I think this is where I want to make sure we talk about this at some point in this segment, is what do you think of that? Is is the key competition? Because I know you've been a proponent for the last four or five years on different shows and different episodes of this show towards, hey, Medicare is one of the cheapest providers that we have and everybody goes into it, okay? But yet he said – his belief is that competition will drive the prices down, that you need to keep competition in some form or right. another, not the same kind of competition we have now. So that's one of those – I hope that we get a chance there, but I'll turn it back to you. That That's what I took from what he said because I, when he said that, I looked at you and mm-hmm. like, boy, I know how Justin feels <laughs> because he's been on this kick for about five years that this is the way to go because of how the program has been run sure. and, and when you cost it out – what it costs. And it's not that your numbers are wrong. I'm not making fun of your numbers. Yeah. But well, I mean, well, he, that is the cheapest form. But he's saying the cheapest form is to have some competition. Right. Well, and I think one of the big keys that you and I have talked about, and, and the Medicare thing is something that I uh, have tossed around for a while because I think it's one of those very difficult. There's a lot of people out there that say you should run the government like it's a business, right? But they are fundamentally different in their end goals. Um, and I think there's definitely components that overlap. And I think what the business sector has taught us is that generally speaking, if we make sure and foster competition, that we, the consumers, will end up with cheaper and better products most of the time. I mean, there's obviously examples that you can rip out and and isolate and say it did the opposite. And and you're not wrong. It's never, never, and it's never always. Exactly. But for the most part, when there's competition, we get better for cheaper. At least in this country. Right. And that's not the case for every country, but here. And so I think one of the big things that's always irked me about Medicare and Medicaid is our prohibition of them negotiating prices for the drugs they buy. And he did mention that. And I think that's a big one because that's a different type of competition. It's instead of the um, health insurance provider, in this case, Medicare, right, Competing with other healthcare insurance providers, it's requiring drug companies and healthcare providers like hospitals to compete on the prices that they'll work with on Medicare. One of the things. So you can have within your proposal, you could still have competition. Right. Well, and again, you'd have, but you'd be competing for over different items or different, yeah. different things within your system. I think of the ideas, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I mentioned, I mean, my idea is basically the one that I think um, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg in the Democratic side are advocating for. Very similar, yes. I mean, granted, I came up with it first, but. um, (laughs) That's true. I mean, I gave you five years ago. That's right. This was your solution to the healthcare system. They hadn't been making noise. They didn't publicize it like you did. Did you get a patent on that? I I should have. Okay. (laughs) I missed the boat, apparently. Um, well, I only miss the boat if it becomes policy. Exactly. If it just stays an idea, then it's then it would have just cost me five hundred dollars for my patent. And gotcha. It wouldn't be worth squat. So, um, but no, the the thing that I think is key about this 
of the things that he talked about, aside from CED's proposal, which is basically an aggressive overhaul of the existing system, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh, keep Medicare, raise the age, you know, for access to it, uh, but also do things to foster the private insurance market and don't make just a general public option available. And give consumers the choice. It, right. And give consumers to the ultimate To create the competition. Choice. Yeah. And in my, the only thing that's different with mine is that you're making Medicare available to everybody, but you're not outlawing private insurance with the idea that that's a different way of fostering competition. Now, they were not, you know, I think CED's position is not one that that's the route that they're suggesting. Um, but just to be clear about what I was suggesting, um, is that route, mm-hmm. which is you, you're leaving private insurance alone, but you're letting the government compete more with the private sector to help force the, uh, so your plan didn't throw out private health care. No. But you were going to allow individuals to choose which program they would like to be in. Right. In my mind, it's the ultimate competition scenario because you're letting the federal government compete as well. And the federal government being the largest employer in the United States and you know the largest monetary entity as well, uh, it's a big hefty beast when it gets in and competes with private companies, it tends to, you know, force people to do different things because it's got a lot of money to spend. It takes care of a lot of people and so on and so forth. But And we know with insurance, the more people you have to take care of, generally the cheaper the cost, right? Right. Because you can spread the cost out among more individuals and you can bring in more healthy people, which will drive down the overall cost for everyone. I was really glad that a big part of their paper, Lance, talked about we spend a lot of time taking care of people who are sick and we don't spend enough time taking care of people before they oh, get amen. sick. Oh, amen. I mean, I that is the biggest thing ever. And how many healthcare companies do not pay for that preventative, preventative care? Right. And it's, and it's just started to come in. I mean, in the last... 10 years or so, because I know when my girls were born and all through grade school, preventative care cost was out of pocket cost. Right. It, and now it's, in, now it's starting to be included. And we all know that if you, you know, I heard something today um, on the news where it's something like, I don't know, 80 or 90% of heart attacks and uh, strokes are preventable. By eating better, exercise, watching your weight, yep. all of these kinds of things. And we're not promoting that. We're not pushing that. I mean, if my health, I mean, I'll be the one, I like my money, right? And I also like my cheeseburgers. But if my health insurer said, hey, it would be cheaper, your insurance would be cheaper if you did this, this, and this, that would be motivation for me sure. to get on the treadmill more often and to eat a salad every once in a while instead of the double cheeseburger. Because they're saving me money. Well, why are we doing that? Why don't we do more than that? Why don't they, why aren't they doing that since it's cheaper for them? Well, and I was glad, and that's part of why I was so pleased to see that it was part of this paper that they shared with us and that Joe was talking about. Part of their proposed solution is, is incentivizing insurance companies to make sure that part of what they're looking at is incentivizing the rest of the healthcare system to focus more on preventative care because it's cheaper. And also people will live longer and be healthier if we spend more time keeping them healthy instead of taking care of them after they get sick. I mean, you have to take care of them when they get sick because right. people are going to get sick. Um, and the other thing that but I we think- we can cut out a lot of the sickness or the, a lot of the, the illnesses mm-hmm. if we get people to start taking better care of themselves. 
Lance, we've got a mission here at True Chat, right? Yes, we do. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm about to talk about something difference between us and the mainstream media. But why don't you tell people first, what, what are we trying to do here at True Chat? Well, we're just trying to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. And part of what I think the mainstream media is doing right now that's not very honest is when they've reported on these OECD stats that I mentioned in the beginning that we perform substantially worse than a lot of other countries, is they missed the key thing that Joe brought up for us, which is that overall, we do better than the rest of the world in terms of taking care of people once they're sick. It's our preventative side that we're so bad at right now. He made the statement that people come from all over the world to get treatment here once they get sick because we have the best care once you get sick. Right. But on the flip side, we do one of the worst jobs of keeping people healthy before they get sick. Well, because if you look at things like life expectancy, infant mortality, unmanaged diabetes, those are all things for the most part, right, that are preventative related. In other words, we've got high rates of them and we take care of people once they have them. Right. But what the stat is talking about is not the quality of what we're doing for the people that have that stuff. It's talking about the percentage of people that have it, which is a direct result of our lack of attention to preventative care. Mm -hmm. And I guess I said something too there, I guess, that wasn't entirely accurate. I said, we're really bad at preventative care. It's not that we're bad at it. It's that we don't do it. (laughs) And we don't promote it. Right. We're not actively, we're not a, we're not a society right now that's really focused on that. You think of healthcare and you think, well, I got sick. I went to the hospital. Right. And it pays my bills. Right. When once I get sick. But we don't promote doing things to stop you from getting to stop sick. from getting sick or from getting diabetes or having anxiety or suffering a stroke. So Lance, this is a syndicated radio program and a podcast. I think it was a joy to have Joe Minerick on to talk a little bit about this because healthcare is one of those areas that everybody's got a different idea, right? But that's part of what we're trying to do here with this with this program. So if others want to expand the conversation, invite others to tune in to this podcast, what are some of the ways that people could do that? And please do that. Please invite others to listen. But they can find us on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and anywhere else fine podcasts are found. For the State of Us on True Chat in Washington, D.C., I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Special thanks to Joe Minerick for joining us today and Bradley Butch, our producer, for making this episode happen. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Be the change. Be sure to check out our website, thestateofus.org, for books, articles, and all the ways to tune in. Thestateofus.org.